One of the things about, um, you know, hearing the word is, is the word is like a mirror, you know, and you look in the word and you think, oh man, those guys or those people. But really, um, oftentimes it's, 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 it's the Lord wanting to speak to us. And perhaps today, that's something that I would challenge us to be thinking about is Lord, in, in, in this thing that Brett's gonna be talking about today, um, Lord, help me just kind of think about, Lord, what would you have me to do? Let me look in the mirror this morning and say, how am I doing on this? And, um, and may the Lord just give us ears to hear what his spirit says. Uh, why don't you turn with me, if you would, to the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, the last chapter there, chapter 16. This has been on my heart for quite a while to share with the Ironworks guys, um, uh, not knowing exactly how to share it or deal with it. So um, I've been praying about this, but uh, it's something that's gonna be hard to articulate and also could be perhaps misunderstood uh, by some people. And, uh, and no doubt it will be. That's one thing I've gotten used to is uh, people kind of hear things the, the way they oftentimes wanna hear them. But, um, but all that to say, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul sort of summing up this first letter to the Corinthians. And um, you gotta remember the, the, the first letter and the second letter of Corinthians was kind of a spanking. Paul gives the Corinthian church a spanking. Why? Because they deserved it. They, they were a church that was a little bit um, off course and rebellious and saying stuff. And, you know, and they were just a, a bunch of guys that were so, I guess, steeped in worldliness that they didn't have any idea what real godliness looked like. And they thought they knew stuff. And so they didn't listen. So Paul had to kind of up the game. And you know, when, he, when, when you hear Paul write to the Philippian church, oh, my dearly beloved church, like he loves the Philippians and he's so gentle and loving. But man, with the Corinthians, he's like, I'm a Pharisee of all Pharisees. I'm, I'm more qualified than all you guys. With the other churches that are nice, he's like, I, Paul, the servant of the Lord. He's not trying to you know, flash his credentials or anything like that. But with the Corinthians, they're like, listen, you guys need to listen to me. <laughs> and it's kind of a pointed prickly uh, epistle. But I love how after he kind of does this whole book, he sort of sums it up here uh, in kind of an interesting way. And, and this summary, I wonder what Paul would say to the American church and what would Paul say to us men uh, in the modern day church? Uh, you know, and I, I think maybe it would sound something like what he said to the Corinthian church here. Um, and it start, we'll just kind of look at these couple verses uh, here in verses uh, 13 and 14. First Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. He says, watch ye, stand fast in, in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. Let all things be done with charity. Let's read that again. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. Let all your things be done with charity. Four basic statements, watch ye, to be on the lookout for what? Well, that you stand fast in the faith, that you're immovable, that your faith is unwavering. Oh, the unwavering faith. You know, that, that's what the Lord needs, I think, uh, and what's he, what he really wants for his church. When the Lord says, oh, that, that you know, um, unfeigned faith, an unwavering faith. Um, he says, watch ye, that you stand fast, stand firm. Uh, these are King James words that sometimes fast doesn't always mean firm, but if you fasten something with a nail, you're making it firm. And that's the idea is that you're fastened in your faith. And then 
one of the words we, know, we don't use at all anymore like this is quit you like men. What is the NIV? You guys that have the NIV, instead of saying quit you like men, what does it say? What is it? Be a man of courage. Okay, yep, be a man of courage. That kind of ties in with, you know, uh, be strong, you know. Um, one of the translations I think just says, says aptly, act like men, you know, <laughs> act like men. Um, quit, that's what the King James means there. And by the way, the King James says that several times throughout the Bible, quit you like men. It doesn't mean be gay, uh, you know, quit being a man. No, it, it, means, it means to act like a man. Remember the Philistines when the children of Israel bought, brought the Ark of the Covenant uh, in and, and uh, they thought, oh no, they brought God in their camp. And the Philistines said to themselves, quit you like men and let's go fight them anyway and we'll die in glorious battle. Like that was the idea there. Um, and they were just brave guys going into battle, even though they were wrong. Uh, they, were, they were saying, quit you like men. The idea is act like a man. Um, and then, so, so you got this, you know, stand fast in the faith, act like men, and then be strong. Um, now we'll talk about how that has uh, uh, backfired on us a little bit. Verse 14, and let all your things be done with charity. Now, I'd like to do a little brainstorming with you guys here for a second. There's, there's attributes of men today that I'd like to kind of think about. First of all, let's, let's start with the negatives, okay? <clears throat> what are some of the behaviors that men do today that have put us in this, this uh, male privilege, uh, me too, uh, um, you know, men are largely despised in this culture that we live in. Um, and, um, and I wonder if some of that, if we've done that to ourselves, why does our culture sort of, you know, hate men. I remember in the 60s and 70s when I was a kid, um, men were still sort of esteemed in an interesting way. And there were certain women that were put down. It was an interesting thing. Do you guys, maybe some of you are old enough to remember the commercials. You know, the man would walk in all with his coffee and calm, cool, collected. And the wife had her hair up in curlers and she was like crazy about cleaning the oven. And she was kind of this, you know, sort of homely woman running around crazy about cleanliness. And, and they, they sort of pictured women in a way that was like that. But I've noticed over the years that has reversed. If you'll notice most commercials, most movies, most uh, media today, it per portrays men uh, as sort of the dupe and uh, we're stupid and we're, we're we, what, what are some of the things, the behaviors uh, that have got us into that, perhaps that category? What are some of the behaviors that men do today that make people just not like men? Anybody who wants to start? Just passive, man, a good one. We, we, we're the quickest. Men are the guys that will just, oh, you wanna take care of it, honey? Okay, great, thanks, you're in the lead. And we'll just kind of passively sit by and let our wives do all the hard work. Um, I've noticed men are passive when it comes to discipline of the children. Uh, they're the ones, oh, whatever, and the wife's doing all the heavy lifting on that, even though that's not biblical, nor is it right. Um, uh, passive, that's a good one. What's another problem? Uh, politically correct. And what, what was this one? Followers. Followers. We, instead of leading, we, we've chosen to follow. Politically correct. Yeah, um, politically correct. Is, uh, that's a whole nother sermon right there. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, what are some other behaviors? Submission. Submission. That, in what way? Explain that one to me. Uh, submitting more towards away from the family than anything else. 
Yeah, like uh, submission. It's an interesting thing. You know, uh, the Bible talks about, you know, how wives are to submit to their own husbands. But right before that in Ephesians 5, it says that we are to submit ourselves one to another. And there's a lot of Lone Ranger men out there who aren't submitted to anyone. Uh, and that hasn't served us very well, I think. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a big one. What else? Lazy, yes, lazy men. Uh, and that's something that, uh, you know, I wonder if every culture feels that our younger generation is lazy. Uh, I just wonder about that. Like those, those you know, if it, if it was the uh, baby boomers, they looked at the, the hippie generation, a bunch of lazy hippies. And, and then those hippies all got jobs and beamers and became yuppies. And, uh, and then they gave birth to the Gen Xers. What are Gen X? Gen X, you know, Gen X used to mean, what are they? They're a variable, who knows? It was an X. Uh, but we became the generation that created the dot-coms and all the you know, uh, tech and all that stuff and made a pretty good living doing X, uh, as it turns out. But then the Gen Xers looked at the millennials, oh, those millennials sit around in their mom's basement playing video games. Like every, every generation, we kind of think, oh, those are a bunch of lazy. But lazy men, that is an ugly attribute that uh, happens, especially when the women are doing all the hard work. Um, in, a, in a women's culture of saying, we're gonna uh, bring equality, uh, men and women, equality and stuff like that. What I've known is the men, will kind of, the men are working hard, you know, and then the ladies say, we want jobs too. We wanna be CEOs too. We wanna work just like the men. And so the more that comes in, the men are like, okay, whatever, you guys do all the work. And I do worry that we've allowed sort of a culture of laziness. That's, a, that's another one. What else? One at a time, right over here. Huh? Womanizing, okay, that's good. I was wondering how, when that would come up and if it would come up, but that's an interesting way of putting it too, womanizing. Uh, I, I might've said that, I might've said pornography, lust. Like, has that helped us as men? Isn't it an interesting thing how um, our culture has fed uh, men pornography and lustful things and movies and, and, and we've really celebrated sexuality in a way that, Men have just kind of like, oh, well, I guess that's cool. It's just harmless visual stimulation, that pornography. Meanwhile, as, as one side of the world has flooded us with pornography and sexual uh, imagery and womanizing and stuff like that, um, the other side now has, we, what has the world created? Well, we pastors and church people and Bible people, we've been saying, yeah, lust and pornography and all that, that's sinful and wrong. But as our culture has flooded us with that, now we wonder why women are being abused and why we wonder why rape is everywhere. And we wonder why, uh, you know, there's people wondering their sexual identity and gender identity. And we wonder why uh, people are running around with sexually transmitted diseases. And we wonder about the Me Too movement. Why are the, the Weinsteins and the Epsteins, uh, uh, why, why did that happen? How, how could such a thing have happened in our culture as we're cramming sexuality down men's throats today? Meanwhile, with all that, the world looks at men who are lustful now and you know, into pornography and all that and, and stuff. And they, they say, men are just pigs. That's what, that's what a lot of women say today. And, and sadly, they're, they're right. Uh, you know, what, what, what's, what's unique about a pig is what they eat, <laughs> slop. And uh, I do think men have become pigs in a lot, a lot of ways because we, it's what we take in and we're willing to look at. And, and man, we undermine what a good, solid, strong man was supposed to be when we all got into that, that lustful culture that we're in today. And so men have become hated and uh, pretty much um, 
Yeah, we're in the doghouse, I think, right now. And, and sadly, I think deservedly so in a lot of ways. Now, I'm not arguing for that. I'm just saying that's what we've done to ourselves largely. So those are all the bad, I mean, some of the bad things. We just started the list. It could have gone on all day with that. But um, what, what are, if we could back up now and say, well, what about a, a, if you were to put a man up and say, here's what the biblical godly man looks like. Uh, uh, well, it doesn't include those things. Um, by the way, one of the things, did we mention um, just anger? I think angry men, abusive men, we didn't put that down, but that's one that's uh, put us in the doghouse too, is men just not treating women nicely uh, and, and even husbands that are abusive. That, uh, that's not helped the man cause at all. Um, but w- if we could articulate, what are some of the good characteristics of a godly man? Who wants to start one, one at a time? Right here. Yep. Man, humility and, and, and admitting that you're, a lot of men are uh, so insecure, they won't admit they're, they're wrong and they've just made a mistake. That's a big one. That's huge. Uh, somebody else right here. Integrity. Out the window uh, in our culture. That's why I think men, you know, uh, with business and, and lying and doing things that we shouldn't do, the integrity is in question. Uh, but, but a man of integrity, oh, that's, you know, I, I almost, um, I almost think of when Jesus saw, you know, um, uh, you know, certain people, he'd identify them, you know, uh, Nathaniel, a man in whom there is no guile. Like Jesus saw a man that, that had certain characteristics. Once in a while you see a man and you just sense that guy's got integrity. But man, you wonder nowadays, even, uh, you, know, you know, politicians, they lost integrity a long time ago, sadly. But even pastors and churches and church leaders and People just wonder, is that a real person of integrity or not? Uh, integrity, good one. Something else, a good, good quality. Courage. Courage. Courage, mentioned here in our verse, right here. Be strong, courageous in the NIV. Somebody back here. Careful. Uh, careful, that's an interesting one. Um, uh, careful in what way? Okay, so like, like, um, uh, that's because I, yeah, that's an interesting, I wouldn't put that on my list, uh, careful. I'm, maybe it's because I'm not a careful person. That, that, uh, that could be my, one of my big flaws. Uh, but uh, I, I think if what you're meaning, maybe, uh, Brian, is, is um, uh, you know, caring, is, or, you know, uh, about things that matter and not caring about things that don't matter, like, but being careful uh, not to do things that are, uh, you know, uh, abusive or, you know, hurtful to others. Uh, things. Is that what you're talking about, kind of? Yeah. Not a bull in a china shop. Right, I, I get you, yeah. Uh, yeah, knowing who we're talking with and being careful not to just be a, a, a guy just bowling through and messing up things. That's a good one. Um, I would maybe say that along with gentle maybe too, you know, that we're gentle with people because men can be sort of, because we're bigger and stronger, I always crack up when there's this notion that women are as strong as men. 
Um, I, I know women are stronger than men in a lot of things like childbirth. Uh, I, I would die, like a, I'd scream like a little girl if, if I were have to give birth. There's, there's women are stronger, but just in physical strength. Uh, this whole thing that women are the same as men is just so ridiculous. I always like to say, well, let's do a bench press contest, men against women, and see how that works out. You know, It's just like physically, there's a stronger thing. But because of that bigger, stronger physical part, we tend to bowl through and not be careful and sort of uh, we're not afraid or nervous about anything and thus we're, we're, we can come off kind of uh, coarse and, and even abusive sometimes. But I, li- I like a man that's gentle, even though, you know, by the way, the word mercy is strength under control. Jesus was merciful. Um, pardon me, meek, I should say, meekness. Jesus said, I am meek and lowly. And that meekness is not weakness, it's strength under control, which is a little bit like what, what Brian's talking about. So, some other attributes of men that are really, really good. Right here. The fruit of the spirit. There's a long list there, uh, right. That's, that's good. Um, being filled with those characteristics that, that uh, mark a man. A man that's filled with the Holy Spirit and showing the fruits of the spirit, man, that's, that's a game winner right there. Love. Uh, which is part of what our scripture says, in joy and peace, patience, goodness, you know, gentleness, meekness, yes. What's that? A servant. Even though he might be able to lead people, he's got the heart and the attitude of servant. Jesus modeled that so perfectly for us, a servant. Uh, anything else you guys wanna jump in and add to it? Randy. To, to lead your family, to teach your children. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, let's see, right in front of Randy here. You, you had your hand up too, right here. Uh, just leader. Leader, a good leader. We need good leaders, good men that lead. Right here. Faithfulness, yeah. Man, uh, that kind of goes also in that, uh, perhaps that integrity category, right? Uh, that, but men, you know, being faithful to what they say they're gonna do, faithful to their wives and families, uh, boy, these are characteristics that are, are good. The reason I, I want us to kind of be thinking about this is I think men largely, whether you're guilty or not of these things or some of these things or all of these things, um, I think men have gotten themselves into trouble because of our first list. All those, those things that men are doing today that, that uh, people just go, men are losers. Uh, male privilege and male, you know, people are just down on men today. But... I believe if we could somehow get men, especially if we just start with our own little world, you know, me, uh, look at yourself right now and say, how can I become a man of maybe a previous generation? I think there were men of other generations that, that were, it was more perhaps even common. I, I look back in history and look at some of the people that I've read about in history. You know, um, Ronald Reagan, you could argue about his faith and what it meant and all this stuff, but one of the things I remember reading about Ronald Reagan, I, I got a book from Debbie, she knows I'm a Reagan fan, and she bought me a book of Reagan's letters. Um, and they compiled a book of all of Ronald Reagan's letters, and a lot of them are handwritten, you can just see them. And you realize this dude was like a whole nother caliber. Like, like he, he could write, uh, like, I mean, they used to call him dumb, you know? Like it's funny how as soon as somebody becomes a politician, especially if you're a president, you're suddenly dumb. Uh, and I'm not sure, um, you know, it's easy to get into the office of presidency and be dumb at the same time, even if you, you have a different political view. But, um, uh, but we just call people dumb, but they called Ronald Reagan dumb because he was an actor and just stupid. But 
read his letters, man. You and I, we couldn't even, we couldn't even come close to being as articulate and, and uh, the, the skills that he had just uh, to write with meaning and heft. And, but there was also a, sort of a statesmanship that I, 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 when you read into that, once in a while you'll see a leader who's a, a, not just a politician, but actually more of a statesman. And I, I think, wow, gone are the days. It's hard to find somebody who's an actual statesman anymore. And, uh, uh, but but um, anyway, I digress on that. Um, you know, but seeing, seeing men that are just solid guys. Now, Reagan had his own problems. One of the things I've noticed with leaders, you know, when, when we bring up leadership, I've noticed that some of the greatest leaders in the world, you know where they dropped the ball was at home. Ronald Reagan's kids turned out horrible, or some of them, I should say, uh, turned out horrible. Uh, in fact, a lot of the greatest men, you know, uh, that lived on the earth, you know, Billy Graham even said that was the biggest ball that he dropped as a man was with family. And, you know, Franklin Graham was totally rebellious for the longest time as the son of Billy Graham, but eventually came back as an older guy. Um, but, you know, being men of integrity, being men that are strong, and see, here's the thing, I, I, you know, I think godliness, you know, a man that worships and believes in, you know, we talked about faithfulness, I think being faith-filled, filled full of faith, uh, to be a man of faith. Uh, you know, our, what our culture needs more than anything, I think, is men who will step up. I think because of our passiveness, we've allowed, you know, uh, things just to happen. I, I have to admit, as a patriot of this country, I, I feel like I'm a, a man living in an era where it's our generation that has dropped the ball in America. I really feel that. It's our generation that dropped the ball. You know, we called this the grand experiment. Is the experiment over? It feels like it's over to me. This grand experiment is, is over, why? Well, you know, we, we could go back to my um, prophecy update last week. Um, and talk about um, you know, how we're moving you know, from more of a, a nationalism, which is you know, we're proud to be Americans and, and uh, wanna be a country that's strong and good to more globalism. That's where we're moving. We're moving to more of a globalist sort of uh, mentality. And, and then you know, uh, as soon as our democracy and our elections are being questioned by half the country, if they're even a legit, uh, elections, then suddenly out the window goes democracy and people no longer feel like we're, we're for the people, by the people, of the people, or any of this stuff. We, we kind of feel like, man, uh, have we, has this experiment failed? And where are we headed as a nation? And if you notice, we're heading in the same direction that a lot of other nations have gone. And I wonder if this grand experiment of democracy in the United States of America, 240 something years later, it's failing. And largely I feel like it's failing because men uh, stepped in the wrong direction. Uh, year after year, generation after generation, we just continue to move and, and sort of we've, we've allowed that to happen in our country as, as people, just letting things slip. And you know, we, we saw the first signs, you know, uh, 50, 60 years ago, and, and then it, they got stronger and stronger. But who would have thought today we'd be seeing what, we, what we're seeing in our country? You know, I think that we've given ground week after week, month after month, year after year. We just continue to give ground and, and now we find ourselves in a place where our nation is in real peril. Uh, who knows what's gonna happen in the next few days even. I mean, uh, everybody's kind of nervous. 
And if everything smooths out and Biden gets in and everything's a peaceful transition of power, what does that mean? Well, maybe not immediate civil war or maybe the National Guard can go home out of the Capitol building, maybe that's great, but we'll move to more of a globalist kind of uh, secularist uh, worldview. And that's only gonna move this nation further and further away from from being a country that once was a godly country, a country that at least sought after God and uh, there was freedom of religion uh, and there was truth being told. So what do we do with this? Well, I think as, as men, we need to kind of reevaluate and say, Lord, show us what it means to be uh, this godly man. Um, so when the Bible tells you and me to act like men, that's what it says. It says, you know, watch you, stand fast in the faith, act like men and be strong. It doesn't mean act like men, the first list that we went over today. It means act like men, the second list we went over, integrity, faithfulness, strength and courage, um, kindness and gentleness, and you know, all the fruits of the spirit, meekness, self-control, which is the pornography thing. And, and like getting back to being a man of integrity and putting away childish things and putting away sinful stuff. Man, if, if we get a bunch of men that will start saying, we gotta get back to that. Back to leading our homes. You know, um, I wonder if you could rate, if, if you're a dad or a grandpa in this room, if you could rate yourself for a moment. Maybe even if you're a son, I would ask this, uh, in, in a home where there's, there's consternation about what's going on around the world today, coronavirus or uh, the political scene or you know, your business is going down because of the coronavirus or like whatever the stresses and the things that your family's been feeling this recent season, how have you responded? How have you reacted to those things? I've noticed that men will either um, stand up and be the man that they're called to be, integrity and faithfulness and leading with, um, with calm, cool leadership, or they just kind of sit back and uh, either make some pot shots and say some comments and only stir the pot and make things worse, or, or, or they just kind of are so passive, they just, they just let their wives do all the work. Um, you know, it's interesting because I'm not really by nature a social media kind of person, but because I'm a pastor and it is a way of communication today and um, a lot of people do uh, use that, I do find myself from time to time, I, now fortunately I've got uh, a, a group of people, a staff that kind of works on my social media so I don't have to worry about it uh, and I don't. Um, but one thing I have found helpful is to sort of get the pulse of what's going on uh, out in, in the general public with attitudes and actions and what people are doing. It is helpful. Uh, and also helps me know who some of you people are. Uh, you know, I, I, I can walk up to some of you guys at church and go, I know you were at Disneyland last week, you know? Saw all your pictures, uh, it's great. Uh, you know, and all that stuff. But, but one of the things I've noticed is I think, and, and man, I'm gonna get in trouble for this. I think there's a lot of wives out there that are really freaking out about what's going on. And either the men aren't standing up and saying, honey, we need to deal with this differently than ranting on social media. Honey, uh, we need to calm down and put our trust in the Lord. And, and some, I, I feel like there's a real, you know, one of the things that you and I as men are called to be is to be a covering. Um, and I know that sounds condescending to women, but it's not. You know, when it says wives submit to your own husbands there in Ephesians 5, the word submission means to be under the covering of something. So like you and I as men today, we're under the covering of this roof. And if it's raining outside or snowing or hailing, hey, we're smart, we're in the room. Uh, if you wanna stand out in the parking lot and get hailed on and snowed on and, and rained on, you can, 
but it's a lot nicer in here because we're submitted to this roof. We're under the covering of this roof. The Bible has called men to be the covering. We're the ones who are supposed to take the hit. We're the ones designed by God to take the hit of the world, the rain, the snow, the hail of the world. And we're designed to take that and allow as, a, as not a, a, a woman as an underling or less than, but she's the woman who gets to be in a place of honor, just like you and I are in a place of honor right now because we're in the room. So she gets to be in this place of honor. Meanwhile, the man's supposed to take the hits because he's supposed to be the roof, the covering. And that's true in the church of Jesus Christ, the leadership of the church. That's one of the reasons I think why God wants men to be pastors in churches and elders, not women. And that's one of the things that's gone out the window. Largely churches have just um, totally caved on this thing. Even though Paul couldn't have said it more clearly in 1 Timothy you know, chapter two, he made it perfectly clear that men are to lead the church and women are not to usurp authority over the man in the church, not to teach in the church, uh, teaching men, women teaching men. It always cracks me up. People are like, oh, Joyce Meyer, she's awesome. Yeah, but she's a, like a senior pastor leading and teaching men, totally against what the Bible says. Um, and, and yet today, if you say that, you're in big trouble. So I've been in big trouble for a long time. Um, but uh, Athey Creek doesn't have women elders and we don't have women pastors and we never will. And the reason why is not that we don't like women, it's quite the opposite. The opposite is to say that men were to take the hit. Men are to take the, the, the challenge and the struggle of leadership and make it so that women are in a place of honor so that they don't get hit by the stuff that's coming in this world. Now, as husbands, you and I are called to do that same thing, to cover our homes and cover our families. And yet when we uncover and let them take the head and just kind of leave things undone and just kind of let things go, pretty soon we find our family in disarray and we wonder what happened? What's going on? And why is my wife so stressed out? It's because maybe she's been taking the hits. Maybe some of you sons wonder why my mom is so stressed out and she's worried about finances, she's worried about dad. And she's, maybe some of you sons could be the ones to step up and act like men. I think that'd be a glorious thing. I have seen that happen, by the way, where a dad dropped the ball, but the son steps up and is the man of the house. Whether the dad knows it or not, the son's the one coming to the mom saying, you know what, mom, the Lord is in control and he's gonna get us through this season. And remember, the finances are tough right now, but the Lord says in his word, my God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. I've seen young men step up to the plate and be the man of, of faith and the man of covering. But we've lost that. We've become very passive and we're so busy looking at pornography and doing all our sinful stuff and being passive and all this stuff that largely I feel like the, the men in our culture, in our world, we've lost the ability to lead and we've lost the ability to cover. And so everybody's stressed out. Yeah, but Brett, what if I'm stressed out and then I go home and I, what am I supposed to be? Calm for my wife? Yes, exactly. That's it. You and I are supposed to be tapping into the Lord and by the way, to each other as men. I've always said, and we've said it here, we've done whole times on Ironworks about having a, a, a group of men that you can be accountable to, guys that you can pray with and talk to about your struggles and the things you're going through. But man, it's our job as men to step up to the plate and lead. When that starts to break down, we start to see all kinds of crazy stuff. By the way, there's a story in the Bible 
that you can see that. And, and one of the most manly men in the Bible, you wanna know who's a manly man in the Bible? Is David. Would you guys agree that David is a manly guy? Now he had some interesting uh, quirks and you might even call, some would say in, in a derogatory way, femi characteristics. What do you mean? Well, he was a musician. Uh, he was emotional. Um, he was, he, he, when you read the Psalms, you're like, man, that guy, you know, maybe not, you know, man's man, but I would dare you to say that to his face. <laughs> David's the guy that, you know, when they told him to kill some Philistines, he went and killed them, cut off their foreskins and put them in a bag and carried the bag in and handed it. I mean, how many of you have done that? <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's a, that's a uh, I mean, a pretty manly thing to do, I guess. <laughs> Uh, you know, killing a giant's no small feat. Killing a lion and a bear and, and, and stuff that David did out with the sheep. Like David was a man's man. But, but I think in, in a lot of ways, what's interesting is he was also tender and, but he made some mistakes. Now, what I love about David is the relatability. So he's this man's man, but he's a man after God's own heart. He writes Psalms and worships and he's tender, but he's also emotional. But He's kind of this interesting guy. And the reason I like David is because he's so relatable. I think you and I can find ourselves sometimes um, where we're doing really well walking in victory like David. But the next minute, what was David doing? Acting like a crazy man at the gates of the Philistine with drool coming down his beard. Remember that whole story? Like it's an amazing thing to watch David. Would you grab your uh, Old Testament, turn with me to First, uh, first Samuel. I wanna show you a little story here. Uh, that I think is appropriate for today. It's 1 Samuel chapters 15 through 18. Remember I told you some of the greatest leaders in the world, their kids often are not so good because they spent so much time leading countries and being presidents or kings or whatever. David, I think, had that problem. David was a great man in a lot of ways, but one of the areas I think he kind of dropped the ball was with his son Absalom. Now, um, uh, you know, we could, we could argue about that and talk about what, what was the problem there, but you know, Absalom is kind of this, this real problem for David. It's, uh, it's 2 Samuel 15, verse one, check this out. 2 Samuel, did I say 1 Samuel? Sorry, 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse one. And it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, of what city art thou? And he'd say, thy servant is one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto them, see thy matters are good and right but there is no man, you know, deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, moreover, oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which, which had any suit or cause might come to me and I would do him justice. And it was so that when any man came near to him to do him obeisance, he'd put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all of Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. What a weaselly little dude. You know, here's David 
busy as a king, do, trying to be the king over Israel. And Absalom with his flowing long hair. You know, I, I think of Fabio when I think of Absalom. You know, I can't believe it's not butter. You know, here's, here's Absalom. And, 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 he's, and he's sitting there saying, my dad's too busy for you. But if I were the king, kiss my ring, by the way. Oh yeah, if I were the king, then man, I would hear all of your matters and you guys would, uh, by the way, I, I see that there's an Absalom thing that happens uh, even today. Uh, you know, I've seen like, for example, with Athey Creek, where the leadership here is making decisions and praying through stuff. And, um, and uh, you know, uh, there, there are people that will stand by and say, well, I would do it differently if I were in charge. And, you know, those, those guys don't know what they're doing and this and that. And, and uh, you know, it's easy to take those pot shots and be a, um, you know, uh, a lazy boy, quarterback, you know, kind of guy. Uh, it's easy to do that. But when you're trying to win the hearts of the people, I've seen that where in churches where a guy will try to win the hearts of the congregation uh, because that leadership's not doing, and it, it's an Absalom thing. I know some Absaloms today. Um, it's pathetic, but that's what's going on. And meanwhile, the people of Israel are starting to go, we love Absalom because he cares about us. David doesn't care about us. He's too busy for us. Busy doing what? Leading the nation. But Absalom, this harebrained dude thought that he could be a better leader than his dad. Well, meanwhile, one of David's most trusted advisors, a guy by the name of Ahithophel, check this out. Um, it says in verse 11, jump forward to verse 11. And with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called and they went in their simplicity and they knew not anything. Um, basically they're dumb. All these guys, dumb guys followed dumb Absalom. Uh, who are you following? That's just a question to ask. Do you have men that you follow that are wise and good? Or are you following the Fabios that are wooing men because they look good or? Uh, it's amazing to me how um, people are willing to follow leaders today. You know, I think that uh, we live in a church culture that um, young, young men and women would rather follow the latest Hillsong worship leader and his doctrine uh, because he's hip and cool, wearing the skinny jeans and he's got good sounds, but his doctrine, well, uh, but who cares? He's a great leader, we're gonna follow him, but they're not following the old stodgy doctrinal guy who's teaching the Bible, even though, you know, it's, it's a funny thing how we start following the wrong people, but these people went through in their stupidity and they knew not anything. Verse 12, and Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city. So, so this, now turn the page and let's kind of jump through this. You guys, some of you know how this story sort of shakes out. Basically, Ahithophel, David's trusted counselor, goes and betrays him and starts to counsel Absalom. So Absalom's got David's most trusted counselor. Like we got a, you know, a, a, a spy in the land here. But if you, um, you see what happens, fast forward to chapter 16, there in verse five, it says, and when King David came to Behurim. Behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul. Now, now I, I need to tell you kind of what's going on here. In, in, in this chapter, by this time, Absalom's built up strength and he started to uh, divide the nation so much that David's now running, running with his tail between his legs and he's leaving Jerusalem because Absalom's taken over. Absalom's won the hearts of the people. He's got some of the army and he's got chariots and he's starting to, to do his thing. And David's now running, getting run out of Dodge or Jerusalem as it's called here. 
So it says, um, he goes out of this place um, and it says in the middle of verse five, um, behold, thence came out the man of the family of Saul, one of Saul's family members, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, And he came forth and cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David and all the servants of the King David and all the people and all the mighty men that were on his right and on his left. And thus did Shimei when he cursed. Come out, come out, thou bloody man, thou man of Belial. The word Belial means worthlessness. Verse eight, the Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief because thou art a bloody man. This little dude Shimei comes and throws rocks and dirt clods at David as they're leaving with ashes and sackcloth and bare feet. They're walking out of Jerusalem, David and his people and his mighty men. David's got a few of his mighty men there with him. Now, if you guys remember the mighty men of David, are these guys you wanna mess with? The mighty, one of those guys' name is Abishai. And man, you don't wanna mess with Abishai. This guy could kill you 50 ways with his bare hands. Um, so check this out, Shimei is throwing rocks at David and, and then Abishai, verse nine, says to Zeruiah, um, unto the king, uh, the son of Zeruiah, Zeruiah uh, unto the king, why should this dead dog curse the Lord, the king, my Lord, the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. Do you think that's what he meant? You gotta understand, Abishai knew how to take people's heads off. He'd done it before. Um, and then verse 10, the king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, curse, curse David. Who shall say then, wherefore hast thou done so? He's saying, this doesn't bother me. Now, why would David say this doesn't bother me? You know, leave him alone. Don't chop his head off for him. Uh, what, what do you want to, what, what, what's going on with David here? David is, is, is kind of checked, checked out. His son Absalom has taken over and David doesn't want to fight his son, but he also uh, is, doesn't know what to do. So he's just running for his life. This is not a good season in David's life where he's leaving Jerusalem in shame. God ordained David to be king, not Absalom. But David, because of his failures and because of his guilt, he feels guilt because of things that he'd done in the past. And it's, so Shimei's saying, you're a bloody man and you're a stupid guy and you're worthless. And David's like, yeah, you're probably right. Out we go and leave the poor guy alone. Uh, verse 11, and, and David said to Abishai and to all the servants, behold my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone, let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. It may be that the Lord will look upon mine affliction and the Lord will requite um, me good for his cursing this day. Now, by the way, that's what would happen. At least David knows the Lord well enough to know that the Lord will take care and vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. So this, by the way, this Shimei guy, he's gonna get his eventually, but much later down the road. Well, verse 13, and as David and his men went by the way, Shimei went along the hillside over against him and cursed him as he went and threw stones at him and cast dust. And the king and all the people that were with them came weary and refreshed themselves there. And Absalom and all the people and men of Israel came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel with him. Man, what a down point. Now, in some ways I can liken this story 
to where men are in America today or around the world really. Men have been driven out. If you're a man, people hate you just for being a man. You know, and you hear the, these things of, of, of you know, just anti-man, uh, white male privilege or, or just male privilege or whatever our thing is, that, that, but we've done it a little bit to ourselves like David. But at the same time, David is called to be the king. And David needs to step up his game here. You know, walking out with your tail between your legs and sackcloth and ashes, this isn't really what the Lord would have for the city of Jerusalem. Well, as things shake out, Ahithophel gives Absalom some counsel. And by the way, the counsel Ahithophel gave was wise counsel because he knew David. But Absalom chose not to listen to Ahithophel's counsel, but listened to another dude instead. And so Absalom takes some poor counsel from another guy. And what happens? Well, fast forward. I know I'm just kind of bouncing through this story, but chapter 17, look ahead there. In chapter 17, verse 23, and when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass and arose and got him home in his house to the city and put his household in order and hanged himself and died and was buried in the sepulcher of his father. Then David came to Mahanim and Absalom passed over Jordan, he and all his men and Israel with him. Now they're going to battle. Finally, David and Absalom, they're, they're, you know, the men of David, the men of Absalom, they're meeting in battle. Um, and, and that's quite a story, but the way the story kind of shakes out, it, it goes right to Absalom's death. And it goes to chapter 18, jump forward to there. Um, uh, kind of a hair-raising story here. In uh, chapter 18, verse nine. And it says, Absalom met servants of David, that is in the field of battle, and Absalom rode upon a mule and the mule went under the thick boughs of a great oak and his head, his hair, caught hold of the oak and he was taken up between the heaven and the earth and the mule was under him that went away. What's up? What happened? His flowing locks of hair got caught up in the, in the uh, um, you know, uh, I remember in woodshop class, they told us this story. Uh, back in the 80s when I was in high school, everybody had long hair. Um, and uh, you'd work in woodshop with the table saw. You know, and, and all these guys had these long hair, you know. And uh, so my woodshop teacher told this story of Absalom. You can't tell Bible stories today, but back then our woodshop, he said, uh, remember Absalom, how your hair got caught up in a tree? Don't let the hair get caught up in the table saw. Um, kind of a great lesson for us. But Absalom's now, he gets his hair caught in the tree, the donkey keeps going and he's just hanging there by his hair. Well, what are you gonna do? At this point, well, it says here, a certain man, verse 10 of chapter 18, saw it and, and told Joab. Joab is the commanding officer of David's army. And he said, behold, I saw Absalom hanged in an oak. And Joab said unto the man that told him, and behold, thou sawest him. Why didn't you go and smite him on the ground? Kill him. So verse 14, then said Joab, I may not tarry thus with thee. And he took three arrows uh, or even maybe a javelin, three Javelins is maybe a better word than darts or whatever you're saying there in your, but it's probably a javelin. Took three arrows or darts or javelin in his hand and he thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And 10 young men that bear Joab's armor compassed about and smote Absalom, slew him. There, verse 17, cast him into a great pit. Interesting, this story, uh, David's son, is killed in a horrific, 
bloody way, humiliating way. You know, the thing about this is I, I wonder, you know, there's a lot of things I wonder about David. What could have David, David done in his life? You know, we, we love the stories of David and Goliath and all these great things that David did and his exploits in battle. Yeah, we love all that stuff. But what could have David done? You know, David's probably the biggest thing that set David back from being um, the greatest king that ever lived might just be his affair with Bathsheba. That was, have you ever noticed in the Bible narrative when you read the story of David, things just go bad for him the rest of his life after that. And that's what the Lord said would happen. The Lord said, you know, remember when Nathan said, David, you're the man, you know, the lamb story and the neighbor and all that. And David, David's caught and David said, I have sinned against the Lord this day. And Nathan, the prophet said, David, I forgive you for your affair with Bathsheba and killing Uriah. And the Lord says, he forgives you, but you're gonna have trouble the rest of your life. Your son that's gonna be born is gonna die. And you're gonna have trouble in your family for the rest of your days. See, all this Absalom controversy and all the other problems David had were because of his own sin, not the Lord punishing him. I don't believe that's what's going on. It's just the natural repercussions of sinfulness. So David had to deal with this Shimei throwing dirt clods and Absalom, his son, being slain horribly in battle and rebellion and all this. And David's house is a total mess. Now, the good news is David was able to get back with the Lord and get back and doing the right thing and he would be still be the king over Israel. And the Lord, the Lord fixed it for him. It wasn't David's doing as much, I think, but God's graciousness. But in some ways, I kind of feel like the state of uh, you know, men in our world today, we're in this dirt clod, everybody's throwing dirt clods at men saying, you're a wor worthless man, uh, you're maleness. Uh, we don't just say amen anymore, we say a-women. Did you, guys, did you guys see that? Oh, I can't believe, like this, uh, talk about stupidity. One of our congressmen prayed the amen and a woman. A moron, yeah, yeah, you're right. I like that, I might use that on Sunday. That's good, no, I probably shouldn't. But thanks a lot, yeah. No, you're, you're right. The guy, you know, but, but you know, we, we've gotten to this culture where little boys are growing up saying, I wanna be a little girl instead. How, how did this happen? And, and why are we in this place of uh, where David's with dirt clods and sackcloth and ashes and we're being driven out as men, if you would. Um, and, and, and what's the answer? You know, I, I think what we need to do guys is, is maybe learn a lesson from David. And by the way, we know the narrative of what was going on in David's life because of, first, uh, pardon me, 2 Samuel 15, 16, 17, and 18. We know what happened in the story. But what was going on in David's heart at this time? You know, that's the thing. I asked you guys to look introspectively into your own life and say, am I adding to the problem because I'm a man that's looking at porn? Because I'm a man that's not kind and loving to my wife? Am I adding to the problem because I'm not raising my kids and I'm growing up little Absaloms in my home that are gonna come one day and betray me? Am I, am I the guy that's kind of dropping the ball um, when it comes to being a godly man? Well, David, a man's man, a man after God's own heart, he dropped the ball. And his family's in disrepair and his world is upside down and things are horrible. But what was going on in his heart? That's where we wanna turn to the Psalms because 
While we know what happened in the story in 2 Samuel, we know what was going on in David's heart in Psalm chapter three. Why don't you turn to Psalm chapter three? We're almost done. And by the way, as you're turning to Psalm three, you know, every David has a shabby shimei throwing dirt. Do you know that? Every great man in the world has a shimei and that's just the way it is. Every Abel has an envious Cain who wants to kill him. Every Isaac has a mocking Ishmael running around. Every Job has his miserable comforters. I hope you understand that that this is the way it is. Uh, And David finds himself in this place. And how did David mentally work through this season of his life? This is where we hear the heart of David and what he did in the midst of this down season of his life. It's Psalm chapter three, and you'll notice in the little uh, superscription there underneath the chapter, it says, a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. This is David, and he's writing about this very story. And I love the Psalms that are tied to the story that we know. That's pretty cool. So what was going on in his heart? That's what we see here. It says in verse one, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God, Selah. That means stop and think. But thou, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my, up of my head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awaked for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all my enemies on the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people, Selah. Man, what a psalm. Um, You know, uh, I I could break this down into three sections. If you would, just jot them down in your notes real quick. Three sections of Psalm 3. First of all, how did David, you know, mentally work through this problem? Number one, presenting the problem to the Lord. I love that verses one and two, he presents the problem. He says, Lord, there's so many people against me. Uh, More, they're increased. Uh, Many are they which uh, say of my soul, there's no help for him in God. I love how he just lays it out there. By, by the way, jot this down here. It's First Peter chapter five, verse seven says, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The Lord cares for you, so cast your, care, your cares or your anxiety on the Lord. That's First Peter 5, seven. Um, you know, the Psalms, uh, Psalm 61, jot this down. Psalm 61, verses one through three, hear my cry, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry to thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I, for thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. David knew that when all the world is against him, the Lord was his strength. So he casts his cares upon the Lord. Right now, largely if you're a Christian man in America, a lot of people hate you. If you're a man who has values that are biblical, 
and you're trying to walk with the Lord and be a man of integrity, people are gonna hate you for that today. And so what do you do? <clears throat> well, you cast your cares upon the Lord. You present the problem to the Lord. And that's one of the things that I hope we're doing is praying. If you missed last Sunday's or Saturday night's teaching on crying out to the Lord in prayer, man, you gotta listen to it, guys. This is important. I think men, it's funny how the Bible says, I would that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. It doesn't say I would that women pray. I know that the Lord wants women to pray too, but oftentimes women don't need to be told to pray. They just do it. You and I as men, I would that men pray, lifting up hands, you know. Um, so presenting the problem to the Lord. The second thing I see in this little chapter of Psalm three is praising the Lord for what he's done. Not only presenting the problem to the Lord, but he praises the Lord for what he's done, verses three through five. You know, he said, Lord, you've been a shield for me. You're the, my glory. You're the lifter of my head. Um, when I cried, you heard me. Um, I love this. When I laid me down to sleep and I awake, the Lord kept me alive even in my sleep. Have you ever noticed that, you know, for you guys that are into tactics and stuff, probably your most vulnerable place is to be asleep. You know, when you're asleep in bed, man, that, that you're vulnerable. That, in Bible times, if you're a, you know, a soldier, you gotta sleep with one eye open, man. And with your sword right next to your, you know, your uh, bed, you know, set up there, because you could die quickly in those days. But the Lord pr protected him through his sleep. His most vulnerable time is the idea. And he said, I will not be afraid of tens of thousands of people that have set themselves against me. Man, I love how David presents the problem to the Lord. That's what you and I need to do. Then praise the Lord for what he's done, verses three through five. But then this is a little trickier, but this is what David does, number, number three. He's projecting God's help in the future. Projecting God's help in the future. And that's verses six through eight. He says, I am not gonna be afraid of those 10,000. It's like he's talking to himself. I'm not gonna be afraid of the, all these people that are against me. I feel that one of the things that maybe has driven men from being manly, godly men of integrity and leadership um, without being abusive or mean. See, there's such a balance here um, without being a jerk, but being a strong leader. Boy, there's a, a balance in that. But because of what's happened in our culture for a man to step up and say, honey, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I feel like we've become a culture of men that say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Right, honey? Is that okay? Right, dear? And is it all right, honey? You know, I wear the pants of the family. My wife just tells me which ones. <laughs> That's the day we live. But to be a man that says, our house will not allow that in our home. And to be a man that says, you know what? Our house is gonna be set aside for God and for godly things. To be the man that steps up. Oftentimes it's the women that are trying to nudge us to godliness, but it's the man that is supposed to lead. But David projects, I'm going to do this. I'm not afraid of, no, even if it's tens of thousands of people. And then he also says, arise, O Lord, and save me, O my God. And then he speaks as if it's past tense. You know, one of the things about modern day movies of battle is how realistic they've become. You know, when you watch some of these, you know, movies today, and I, I'm not into gratuitous violence and all that, I, I, but I do like movies that are historical in nature that kind of show the way it was because I think we've, we've lost a lot of it. But um, the other day we watched um, Gladiator, again. 
And that first opening scene is, you know, uh, Maximus is leading all those soldiers into battle and then the battle starts to rage and man, it's pretty graphic. And, and I wouldn't uh, encourage you to watch, have your kids watch it or anything like that. But, but I have to say, you know, when you see, you know, somebody's teeth flying through the air, like it's snowing. Um, what that does to me is makes me realize there was a day where, you know, we weren't sniping from a mile away with a 308 round or whatever, you know, like, like it's an amazing thing how, uh, you know, it's so different and battle largely is different. And, and most of us as men have never seen this, but when David says, Lord, I wanna see their teeth kicked in. He knows what that looks like. David knows what it feels like to take some blunt object and smash it through a guy's face and have teeth flying. And David's saying, Lord, I'm, I'm visualizing this happening because this is what I want you to do. Now, again, you say, Brett, are you calling us to battle? I remember my brother-in-law, John Corson, back in the 80s went to Lebanon, back in the Beirut days. Like it was a tough time. And he gave this sermon and he was talking about, you know, that scripture in the New Testament about the dead dogs. And uh, he's talking about this, but he gave this whole sermon. Little did John know that the, 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 the term that the, 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 all those soldiers, those Lebanese soldiers he was preaching to, the gospel, the term that he had for their enemy they had was dead dogs. And so he's teaching this sermon about dead dogs in the Bible. And he's thinking he's calling them to arms. They're all like, yeah, yeah, da, 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 da. Like, like he's like, wow, they're really into my sermon. You know, these, these Lebanese soldiers, you know, but it was, um, it was a mistaken uh, choice of words. As I talk about teeth flying and stuff, some of you guys are like, yeah, Brett, calling to arms, right? No, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? principalities, powers, spiritual darkness. It's a, it's a spiritual battle for you and me. And David's imagining saying, oh my God, for thou hast smitten all my enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Thy, thy blessing is upon thy people, Selah. He was recalling how God had delivered him in the past. And I know these are kind of you know, gruesome images, but you have to remember this was David's world. David's world was, was kind of a gruesome world, physically. But as it turns out, I believe you and I are living in a gruesome world, spiritually. We are living in a world where nobody's messing around anymore. I believe Satan is on the move and he's having a field day on a spiritual level in our culture, in our world, in our families, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, because there's a spiritual battle. And what we need is men to step up on a spiritual level, men of prayer, men of integrity, men of the word, to take up the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and to be men that are leading their homes and leading their families and leading the church. Man, I could, I could tell you about uh, you know, any number of things that we could be doing uh, in a microcosm, uh, but there's too many things to number. What do you do, husbands? Let, let me just give you an example um, where your wife says, you know, I don't know if I like the way the leadership is doing things at church. And as a guy, you're kind of passive on it. You're like, yeah, whatever. My wife doesn't like what the church is doing at Athey Creek. Now you can be a total wimp, a girly man and say nothing and be kind of the man that's just kind of off. Or you can realize this is a time for you to lead this is time for you to say, you know what, honey, 
we've chosen Athey Creek or whatever church you go to, we've chosen that church that, and that's, that's the leadership we've chosen to say, we're gonna, there are leaders, there are pastoral staff, there are elders, they've made decisions. And as a family, what we need to do is get behind that. Well, I don't know if I agree with it, honey. It's not our place to do that. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a place and a time where you can say, our church is so heretical and our church leaders are so stupid. They shouldn't be our leaders. We're gonna go find a, a, a church that we can follow. But I've noticed that men will let their wives talk about stuff that they don't really know about and, and, and they'll let, and they'll let the, the, the narrative start to go. And here's what happens. I've, I've been around church probably too long. <laughs> I grew up in the church. I've seen, seen pretty much everything you can see. It's, it's kind of a funny thing. But one of the things I've watched is when men aren't watching and carefully seeing what's happening around them, things happen and then they wonder, how do things get so out of whack? Why, does, why are my kids not wanting to go to church anymore? Well, maybe because your wife or you have been going around talking about all the hypocrites in the church. Church is full of hypocrites. What do you say about the church and the leadership of the church? And I'm not talking about anything that's happening here at Eighth Greek. I actually don't feel that right now. I feel like we have a strong church and things are great. Our church is growing faster than ever. I don't have any complaints. I'm just talking about there's situations where I see families derail and it happens when men let things go unchecked. They're not leading and they're not nipping something in the bud that should have been nipped earlier. A little, a little complaint about this or that or the children's ministry or this or that. But you know, truthfully, you could do that. You could pick apart any church or institution for that matter. But, but little does a guy know that you're raising a little Absalom because you've been complaining about hypocrisy and complaining about this and complaining about that and your leadership has only let your son grow to be one who doesn't want anything to do with the church by the time he's a man. When he's 18, he's out of there because of the hypocrisy you've been talking about or the people you don't like or the things you complain about. You see, that's not real leadership. Leadership kind of nips stuff in the bud. I, I see guys, you know, wonder, how did my son get into pornography? I remember this one, um, this one uh, couple, this mom and dad had me come over to their house and, um, and uh, I, I took their son out after school. He was like a 12 year old kid. I took him out after school and they were worried about him because he was acting up and stuff. And so I took him out, got a burger, chatted, with them and shared some scripture with them and got home and the mom and dad said, how'd it go? And you know, and like, did you fix them? <laughs> and the son said, hey, Brett, come see my, my room and I'll show you. And so, you know, me and the mom and the dad all walked back there and, we, and he sh looked in the room and he had, do you remember the Farrah Fawcett poster? You shouldn't. But if you were, you know, my age, you know, back in those days, the Farrah Fawcett poster, the kid had one of those in his room, hanging up, and a few other bikini girls and stuff. And I, I looked at the mom and dad and said, like, <clears throat> when the son wasn't there, I said, when did the first poster go up in his room? Where were you? Where was your parental leadership then? And you want me to fix your son now? You should have stepped up years ago when he was six or seven or whatever age you let him put up that first poster. It's like, there's a lot of dads just standing around going, I wonder why my son's into pornography. But they didn't take an active role in helping that son know how to deal with lust. The, the, the point is I could go on with hundreds and hundreds of examples and scenarios where we as men can just passively sit by and, 
Uh, we don't wanna be a, uh, an ogre. We don't wanna be you know, the male leadership and the patriarchal figure because that's so frowned upon. And I would say to that, though there be tens of thousands of people against you on this one, act like men. Do what the Bible says, act like men. Back to our scripture one more time and then we're done. Uh, back to our scripture in second, uh, pardon me, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it says, watch ye. Watch ye, that means to keep your eyes open. Stand fast in faith, that you're immovable, unshakable. That's what it means, firm in faith. And act like men, be strong. Now, all that is a great challenge, just in and of itself. Verse 13 is a great challenge. But here's where we drop the ball, perhaps the worst. Because you can stand up strong and you can say, I'm gonna lead my home. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You can do really good in that. But if you fail in verse 14, let all your things be done with charity. That means love. Man, if we can be all of those things, loving, but also firm, loving, but courageous, loving, but leading, man, that's the guy that's gonna see victory. That's the men we need today. In a culture that hates men, that's frowning upon men, men are something that are, there's kind of a stink in the land right now, if you ask me, as it relates to men. We need to bring back the godly man who's watching, standing firm in faith, um, acting like a man, not acting like a woman, acting like a man, and then being strong in charity and love. What a perfect balance. I know that, that, that what I'm talking about is a giant, giant thing. Easier said than done. But I wanna at least do my best today to light a fire under us in a, in a culture where it says it's wrong to be a man and it's, uh, it's ugly and people don't like men leadership and all that. And it's amazing, you know, that we're living in a culture that, um, that says, like we have politicians that say, we're gonna, we're gonna put a woman in this office, whether there's a qualified man or not. It's, it's like they're, they're trying to say, we need more women in this. But, but um, you know, we, there used to be a day where men said, we value women so much that we won't allow them to go into battle. But today we celebrate that. Women can go in battle now. They can fight on the battlefield just like men. Um, but it's funny how in Bible days, they didn't know anything about that. But I, it's, I think somewhere along the way, we have men have become so passive. Do I think women can do great things? Of course. You know, I, I think of women that have led like, you know, Margaret Thatcher or Golder Meir. Um, you know, I, I think of a Condoleezza Rice or certain women who are strong leaders. But there was a day where we said, we don't want a woman to be in a place, not because she's less than, but we don't wanna put her in a place of making the decision to send our sons into battle. That's so, people probably think I'm so antiquated to even talk like this, but there was a day where it wasn't that women were less than, we esteemed women so highly that we said, we're gonna be the ones to go to battle. We're gonna be the ones to go to war. That's long gone. Now, now that's changed. But the problem is that's happened to our spiritual lives as well. Well, the women are gonna take over and they're gonna do this and we'll just sit by and kind of let, okay, hope you don't get killed, honey, good luck. But men need to stand up and take back what God has called us to be. So when I challenge us this morning, this is what I'm gonna call this sermon and it's gonna make people mad, act like men. Act like men. 
That's what we need to do. I'm gonna call it that, act like men, and people are gonna go, what is he talking about? And hopefully they'll listen to the teaching uh, online and hear the context. And even if they hear the context, many people aren't gonna like it. But that doesn't stop us. Stand up and act like men, amen? And a women. No, just, <laughs> just kidding. Little humor there for you at the end. <laughs> Lord, we are so thankful that we get to look to your word for, for the standard. Um, Lord, our culture has changed so much. Sometimes it's hard to even recognize what a godly man is supposed to be and looks like. But Lord, I pray that you'd bring back your heart, not mine or what we think is good, but your heart, Lord, give, give me your word, just be on the tip of our tongues and in the, as it relates to what a man is supposed to be. And Lord, we think of your word just even here telling us to stand firm in faith, to be given to um, acting like men, but in the best sense that, that charity is, is the part that overwhelms everything else, that love is, is a part of our leadership and our, and our strength, that our courage would be marked with integrity. Lord, I pray that you just build within us as men that have listened to this teaching, Lord, just that burning in our soul to, to be who you've called us to be. Forgive us for checking in our man card, Lord, uh, and just going with the culture. Forgive us where we've put too much of a burden to think through uh, troublesome things with our wives and forgive us where we've just let things go with our kids. Help us, Lord, to be men that step up and bring a sense of strength and confidence, not in ourselves, but a, a sense of confidence in you, Lord. May, may sons encourage their mothers to trust the Lord. May husbands love their wives and calm them and make them feel a sense of security as we lead our homes. May fathers, Lord, raise their kids to be lovers of Jesus and to follow your word. Help us not to cower in these days. Help us not to worry about what's correct politically, but help us to, to be biblical, biblically minded, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.